This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Luster. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, masturbation, erotic transformations, and references to group sex and barely legal teenage sex. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 256. Hey there, folks. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City Story Universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 30 of my Metamore City erotic fantasy, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. John and Kate have saved the day once more. Chase Tomley, the young incubus who just went through his transformation, has learned from John how to control his powers. He and his longtime best friend, Emily, have worked through the barriers to intimacy that stood between them, and they are starting to explore their sexual attraction to each other. Janet Vickers has been rescued from her abusive family, and Kate has returned to her usual human form, after releasing Suspira's essence to help bring about the aforementioned rescue. In last week's episode, our heroes began dealing with the aftermath of their misadventures. Janet got some counseling in private from Lisa and Kate, both of whom are well acquainted with trauma and learning how to survive it. Emily began scheming to put together a harem for Chase, a network of trusted sexual partners who can keep him fed on a rotation so he doesn't have to keep hitting the party scene or risk taking too much from any one person. Lightbringer agent Nazarene Kishani showed up at the house with a containment vessel, carrying the essence that John and Kate released during their phony exorcism for Janet. Kishani was not exactly pleased at them for leaving her another mess to clean up, but she was glad they had gotten Janet away safely. The lesbian Kishani knows what it's like to be condemned by your family for the people you're attracted to. John suggested that Kishani should check out the Tomley's underground hedonist group, in case she wants to explore her sexuality through more than just steamy romance novels. While Kate went downtown on an unspoken errand, John took Janet to the police to deal with the problem of her living situation. After taking her statement and reviewing the evidence from the phony exorcism, they agreed that she couldn't be returned home to a family that had treated her that way. Since Janet's mother and that whole side of her family are still unaccounted for, they reluctantly allowed her to stay with Sam and Lisa for now. Kate met them at the police station and gave her own statement about Janet's rescue, then got a ride back to her parents' house with John. On the way, she told him that she had gone back to Henri, the tailor with whom they'd had a memorable threesome on her first day as a succubus. She went to him to get a dress for the homecoming dance 
but when she realized that she was still attracted to Henri, and that the feeling was mutual, they ended up having sex again. John was happy for Kate that she had become so much more relaxed about her sexuality, so willing to listen to her own desires, to believe she's worthy of enjoying them, and to share pleasure with others. That's what the hedonist faith is all about. When pressed, though, he did admit to feeling like he had missed out on something. Kate and John agreed that they want to continue sharing sexual experiences with other people together, and now that she knows she can give it back, Kate wants to borrow John's essence again in the future. But that's a topic for another time. Right now, it's time to go get ready for the Empire's national holiday of Thanksgiving and Remembrance, Metacama. Homecoming A Tale of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Chapter 30 The Bridger Heights Metacama Potluck was held at the community center downtown, and while it did not literally include every person in town, it certainly felt that way when John walked in. Buffet tables lined both sides of every hallway in the building, each one filled with serving trays, chafing dishes, and electric cooking pots. Neatly lettered index cards stood next to most of the food, announcing the name of the dish and any likely allergens it contained. Dishes were divided thematically, with large posterboard signs identifying sections for appetizers, main dishes, sides, beverages, and desserts. Lines of people moved among the tables, laughing and talking loudly with their neighbors. Beyond the food-lined corridors, the center's five banquet halls were all filled with dining tables. Cheerful pop music from Tiffany Angel and other similarly inoffensive artists sounded from the PA system. I hope everyone's hungry, Sam announced, as Lisa, Kate, Chase, Emily, and Janet came through the doors behind him. Starving, Chase said. He was wearing one of Kate's color-changing illusions, plus a broad-brimmed, floppy hat that he'd borrowed from his dad. It looked fairly ridiculous, but it covered his horns well enough. His tail was tucked up inside his winter coat, where it occasionally made the fabric tent and shift in odd ways, but it was unlikely that anyone would notice unless they were actively watching for it. Lisa was carrying a large tray of pasties, a type of hand pie with beef, onions, and root vegetables stuffed inside a crispy crust. John had never had one before, but the smell had convinced him to sample one before they left the house. They were even more delicious than he had expected, and he had told Lisa as much. I'll just go find a spot for these, she said. Go ahead and get your food. I'll catch up. The cuisine on offer was not flashy for the most part. John's old friends in the peerage would have looked down on it as peasant food. That, he decided, would have been their loss. Not everything he tried was delicious, but most of it was, and it was obvious that the townsfolk had put their hearts and souls into this, the biggest feast day of the year. John went back twice for more, not counting his trip to the dessert section. Most of the others in their group did the same, though Chase had them all beat in the sheer number of calories he wolfed down. 
The dining tables were arranged in long rows, so even sitting together as a group, they had ample opportunity to chat with the neighbors to their left and right. John flirted for a while with a thirty-something single mother who was there with her three children, until the youngest one got crabby and she had to take them home early. Across from him, Kate flagged down Henri and cajoled him into squeezing in between her and Lisa. The two women chatted with him about his work while taking turns feeding him samples of food from their plates. Henri seemed entirely delighted with this situation, and John couldn't blame him. Sam finished his food quickly and then flitted around the room, greeting his students, their families, and his fellow teachers. John was impressed. The man had struck him as an introvert, but here he was apparently in his comfort zone, chatting easily with dozens of people in the course of two hours. His laugh and smile were infectious. Chase seemed uncomfortable with the crowd, staying close to John when he wasn't going up to get more food. The Tomleys came by to say hello, but they didn't stay long, letting their son and his friends have their space. Emily and Janet kept him company through the meal, discussing classes and university life. While Chase was at the dessert table, though, they began conspiring in hushed tones, giggling and scanning the hall around them. What are you two up to? Lisa asked, arching an eyebrow in their direction. Nothing, Emily cooed, smiling sweetly, if not innocently. She rose to her feet, tugging on Janet's hand, and the taller girl followed. We'll be back, Janet said. Chase came back soon after they had gone, and looked around in evident disappointment. Where's Emmy and Janet? They didn't say, John said. Lisa leaned in close over the table, and John and the others copied her. She lowered her voice so it wouldn't carry beyond their group. They're looking for other girls who might like to make friends with an incubus. Ugh, Mom, Kate said. Dirty mind much? You watch, Lisa said confidently. All that talk this morning about starting a harem? Emily wasn't joking, at least. She shifted her gaze over to Chase her dark eyes full of tenderness and amusement in equal measure. She almost watched you starve yourself to death. She's going to make sure you never go hungry again. Chase's cheeks burned scarlet. She doesn't have to do that. No, she doesn't, Lisa agreed. She's doing it because she loves you. She paused, then added, And I think because she's hoping to find some new play partners of her own. If you're not sure if you're bisexual or not, a threesome's a pretty good way to find out. Kate sputtered. She stared at her mother like she'd grown a second head. You've had threesomes? she hissed. Lisa looked smug. I did say that you didn't fall far from the tree, dear. She turned her attention to John. It's been a long time, I'm afraid. Sam is so sensitive. It took years before I could even mention the idea without him feeling self-conscious. But we had a long talk at the hotel, and he's starting to relax about it. Seeing the two of you, he finally understands how you can love someone and still want a little variety to spice things up. She gestured at Henri by way of example. The tailor ducked his head and spread his hands, smiling modestly. Kate could hardly argue with this line of reasoning though she seemed like a part of her still wanted to. At last, she took a deep breath, then let it out. 
Well, I guess if Dad's okay with it, then that's all right. Thank you for your approval, sweetheart, Lisa said dryly. Yeah, yeah. Kate pointed a finger at her. You better not break Dad's heart, though, because I will never let you hear the end of it. Lisa reached over and covered Kate's hand with her own. She leaned in and looked her daughter straight in the eyes. I promise I would never do anything to hurt your father, Katie. I swear to you, I love him as much as the day I married him. I'm just a little... She hesitated, apparently searching for the right word. Bored? Kate asked, glumly. Lisa grimaced. That sounds awful, doesn't it? No, madame, Henri said. His interjection made both women turn to him in surprise. He gestured down at their plates, filled with the remnants of more than a dozen different dishes. You eat the same thing every day for twenty-five years? Even if it is your favorite, you will want to try something new. Lisa inclined her head to him. Thank you, Henri. She patted Kate's hand reassuringly before letting it go. And don't worry about your father, dear. We have a plan for how to ease him into things. Kate's eyebrows shot up. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Lisa glanced sidelong at John, and a wicked smile played across her lips. We're going to start going to the Tomley study group. She winked at him. I think we'll wait until next week, though. Might be a little awkward otherwise. John stared back at her for a long, long moment. Then he sat back in his chair and laughed. Ha! he said, pointing a finger at Kate. Ha! 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 I told you! Kate groaned and buried her face in her hands. Lisa, who clearly had not expected this reaction, looked between them both with sudden dismay. Oh dear, what just happened? What happened? John said, between chuckles, is that your daughter just lost a bet. I really did, Kate admitted, peering up at them from between her fingers. Her face had turned almost as red as when she had been a succubus. John leaned back and put his hands behind his head, gloating shamelessly. That dinner at the Panoramic is going to taste so good. Just then, Emily and Janet came back to the table. They had two other lovely young ladies with them, a blonde girl with a ponytail and a swimmer's build, and a tall, slender Sangafilder, who was either a runner or another skyball player. Hey, Chase, Emily said. Look who's here. Chase recognized both girls and smiled up at them awkwardly. Hey, Stacy, Aisha, what's up? Stacy and Aisha shared a furtive look, then put on their best seductive smiles. They were at least as awkward as Chase, and it was adorable. Emmy and Janet say you've got a pretty cool secret, the blonde girl said. We thought maybe you could share it with us sometime? For a moment, Chase looked like he might try to melt into the floor and disappear. Then he looked up at the adults around him, at John, Kate, Henri, and Lisa, each of them smiling at him encouragingly. Henri gestured down at the plates again, his meaning plain. Chase took a deep breath, sat up a little straighter, and reached out for the girl's hands, 
one in each of his. He looked up briefly at Emily, who just nodded, and at Janet, who blushed and smiled. That sounds great. What are you up to after the dance tonight? John, Kate, and the young people left the potluck around seven, so they could have time to get ready for the homecoming dance. Sam and Lisa stayed behind to visit with some of their friends, promising to stop by the school later. Emily and Chase had brought their evening wear with them when they came back for the potluck. Thoughtfully, Emily had also brought a spare dress for Janet, loaned by one of her taller friends. By unanimous agreement, the three ladies took the master suite to get dressed, while John and Chase used the guest room and the bathroom across the hall. The device with the trapped essence was tucked away in a corner of the guest room, but Chase's eyes were immediately drawn to it when he walked in. What is that? That's an essence chamber, John said. The Lightbringers found a way to trap and store a piece of a goddess. He went over and put his hand on the crystal. The red light pulsed brighter under his touch, and he felt the tug of attraction between that fragment and his own soul. I already took back the part that was mine. The rest belongs to you. Chase knelt before the chamber, staring at it in wonder. This is what was in that storm thing? The one Kate absorbed? John nodded. She held it for a while, but it's your power. Your birthright from the Incubus who sired you. Chase looked up at him, his expression serious. What will happen to me if I take it back? You'll be stronger, John said. You'll be able to do more with your powers, but you'll also be stronger physically. You'll heal faster, have sharper senses. Heat and cold won't bother you as much. You'll also have better endurance, which can be useful for all sorts of things, not just sex. Chase blushed a little at that, but nodded. What's the catch? All that power needs to be fed. You've gone the last three days without having sex. Unless you and Emily got up to something while we were gone? Chase smiled sheepishly. A little bit. We didn't want to do too much without you around to help, in case I lost control again. But yeah, we did some stuff. His grin broadened. It was still pretty great, though. John nodded approvingly. Glad to hear it. But once you get the rest of your power back, a little fooling around every couple of days isn't going to cut it. You're going to be an incubus for real, and that means having real sex. Lots of it. He met Chase's eyes. I won't lie to you. It's a hell of a lot of fun. But it takes up a lot of your time. And like I told you last night, you've got to be smart about it, so you don't hurt people. Chase's expression sobered. I understand. His eyes shifted back to the ball of essence, as if it were calling to him. I don't want to run from what I am anymore. I'll take it back. John felt a flush of pride. He put a hand on the young man's shoulder, squeezed it. Good man. Put your hands on the crystal, here and here. He indicated two spots on opposite sides of the device, and Chase placed his palms against them. John flipped a lever on the side of the device, then wrapped his fingers around the handle at the top. I'm going to turn this, and it'll open the trap. You need to open your aura so you can receive the essence. You remember last night, when you opened that faucet in your mind and pointed it at Emily? Same idea. But this time, when you open the flow, 
It's going to try to move in both directions at once. Instead of letting it run out, pull it back in. Let me know when you're ready. All right. Chase took a deep breath. He closed his eyes, concentrated a moment, then nodded. Okay, ready. John twisted the handle a quarter turn, and circular doors of crystal slid back, exposing the interior of the trap. The essence immediately flared into bright, crimson light, and sent tendrils of red smoke spiraling out in all directions. John stepped back to the far wall, closing off his aura as much as possible. Chase gasped and threw his head back, but he kept his hands in place. After a few tense seconds, there was a sound like wind rushing through a small hole, and the essence leapt into Chase's body. He tipped over and fell onto his back, staring up at the ceiling with eyes that glowed a brilliant yellow. His aura spread out around him, filling the room with shadows. His horns grew a few centimeters longer and began curling backward over his head. His penis went instantly hard, making an obvious bulge in his pants, a bulge that grew even larger and longer as John watched. Chase's chest rose and fell in double time until John was afraid he would hyperventilate. John stayed where he was, fighting the urge to panic, the urge to do something. This was Chase's power. No one could master it for him. Then, all at once, it was over. The shadows collapsed in on themselves, the light faded from his eyes, and Chase let out a long, ragged sigh, slumping back against the carpet. He took a few more slow, shaky breaths, then looked up at John. Whoa, he whispered. John grinned. You all right, man? Chase nodded, an exaggerated movement that suggested he was still dizzy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. John reached down and helped pull Chase to his feet. Chase thanked him, then looked down at his pants. Holy shit. With scarcely a moment's hesitation, he unzipped his pants and let them fall then pulled open the top of his underwear. Holy shit! He looked up at John in confusion and amazement. You didn't tell me it would get bigger. John grinned. Yeah, well, I didn't want to prejudice your decision too much. He gestured permissively. Go ahead and take a look. I know you want to. Chase pulled down his underwear and stepped out of them. His cock immediately sprang to attention. It was about 23 centimeters long, and as big around as Chase's enclosed thumb and middle finger. He reached down and stroked the shaft, letting out a little moan of pleasure. Oh, Eli, Chase whispered. Then, more loudly, I, uh, I need to go to the bathroom. He hurried out without looking at John. The bathroom door slammed shut a few seconds later. John went over to the master bedroom and knocked on the door. Ladies? There was a sound of hurried footsteps, then the door opened a crack, revealing Emily's face. She had her hair up in a double braid, and from the look of things, she was halfway through putting on her makeup. Kate says you can't see her until she's ready, she said seriously. That's fine. I wanted to talk to you or Janet anyway. Emily frowned. Is something wrong with Chase? We heard a door slam. He took back the rest of his essence. 
He's doing okay, but he's very... hungry. He looked back at the bathroom door down the hall. And he's about to find out that masturbating doesn't do anything to help with that. Emily's eyes widened in understanding. After a moment, she composed herself, straightening up and nodding sagely. A faint smile played at one corner of her mouth. I see. So our boy needs a little snack? John bowed his head to her. If you were Janet would be so kind, I think that would help, yes. Emily nodded. Just a sec. She closed the door, and John heard her padding away. He went back to the guest room and started changing into his dress clothes. White dress shirt, dark gray vest, black suit, white pocket square, patent leather shoes, and no tie. He left the top two buttons of his shirt open, exposing enough of his chest to be suggestive without being improper. The door to the bedroom opened again as he was putting on his shoes. There was a knock on the bathroom door, and Emily's voice called, Chase, open up, please. Chase's voice answered, muffled by the door between them. Oh, I'm a little busy here, Em. I know, sweetie. Get out here and we'll fix it. Hurry up, we don't want to miss the dance. There was a long silence, but then the bathroom door opened. A few seconds later, Emily appeared in the bedroom doorway. She was dressed in only her underwear, and she led a naked chase behind her, guiding him by the hand like a recalcitrant child being escorted to class. Behind Chase came Janet, wearing only a pair of sky-blue cotton panties and a small, mischievous smile. "'John?' Emily said in a swift, business-like tone. "'We're gonna need this bedroom now. We have a lot to do, and we're in a hurry.' John looked back and forth between the three youths. Emily, matter-of-fact and determined— Janet, shy but excited, and Chase, who looked dazed, as if trying to figure out how this was what his life had become. Resisting the urge to laugh, John rose to his feet and bowed to Emily with his best courtly manners. Of course, milady, whatever you require. He headed for the door, and the young people passed him on their way into the room. Chase caught his arm and whispered into his ear, any advice? John looked back at Emily and Janet, who were already stripping out of what few clothes they had and climbing into bed together. He clapped a hand on Chase's shoulder. Pace yourself, he said. Then he walked out of the room and shut the door behind him. And that's the end of Chapter 30. Come back next time when John and Kate join the young folks for the homecoming dance. And Kate has a surprise for John. M. Kieran said, Let your story grow. Let it surprise you, and it will certainly surprise your readers. So, let's see what I've been growing this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of September 26th through October 2nd. I wrote 2,772 words this week, over the course of four hours, for an average writing speed of 693 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 168 days without breaking my chain. 
This week I went back to working on Honor Bound for the first time since September 5th. It took me a few days to reread the last few chapters, and when I did, I realized that there was a plot thread I had lost track of, which really needed to be picked up again before the last scene I had previously written. So on Friday I dove back into it, working on the missing scene. I haven't finished it yet, but I gave myself enough of a running start that I think I'll be able to keep it going without letting it lapse into another bout of writer's block. I'm now in chapter 24, and the manuscript is a little shy of 62,000 words. Looking back at the month of September, I wrote a total of 9,078 words in 12 days, averaging 757 words per day. That ranks 50th out of 65 months since I started this podcast. I spent 13 hours writing this month. Compared to August, my word count decreased by 45%, and my writing time decreased by 45%. However, I also spent about 37 hours on audio production during September, and increased my production buffer from 5 episodes to 8, so from that perspective, it was still a pretty successful month. This week my wife and I went on vacation to the mountains of Virginia. We had some car trouble on the way, so it ended up taking us an extra day to get there. Our friend's cabin is in a truly beautiful, peaceful spot, just off the Blue Ridge Parkway, looking out over the Yadkin River Valley of northwest North Carolina. We visited an old Appalachian grain mill, did some hiking in the Jefferson National Forest, and otherwise just spent plenty of time decompressing. It was wonderful. While I was there, I finished editing the audio for Homecoming, and submitted it to Audible for review. They're currently saying they have a turnaround time of 30 business days, so if that holds true, then Homecoming should be available for purchase in time for American Thanksgiving. Watch the Fans of Metamore City Facebook page for updates on this. I also edited and released the fourth edition of Making the Cut. For this edition, I've decided to correct one of the book's most serious flaws, namely, the way it conflated Danny's gender identity with the morphological sex of the body she was inhabiting. This was a common mistake in gender transformation fiction in the 90s and early aughts, but I know better now, and it's time to do better. So, I've corrected Danny Shirabi's pronouns. When Danny first transforms into a female body, their gender identity is still male, They're trying to figure out if they can live as a woman, but their self-conception is that they're a male person in a morphologically female body. At this point in the story, I've given Danny male pronouns to reflect this reality. Later on, Danny's self-conception shifts. For reasons connected to the plot, Danny now truly perceives of herself as a woman, and sees Daniel as her old self. At this point, the narrative shifts to describing her with female pronouns. The change in the narration thus serves to highlight a turning point for Danny's character. This doesn't correct all of the problems with making the cut. There's still a lot of gender essentialism and reductive attitudes being expressed by some of the characters, especially Ava Selindi. I've written a new author's note where I talk about this, addressing the differences between gender identity and gender expression and the mistaken assumptions that lie behind the advice that Ava gives to Danny. In this way, I hope I can share with my readers the new insights and perspectives I've gained over the last 12 years. The last chapter of Homecoming will air on this podcast on December 6th. 
After that, I'm going to take three weeks off for the holidays. When we come back on January 3rd, I'm going to start airing a solo read of this new edition of Making the Cut. It will run for 59 weeks, which will take us all the way through to March of 2022. By then, I'm hoping I'll have at least a couple of new novels to share with you. Over on the Patreon feed, we have three new patrons this month. Please welcome Brad, Dan, and Gian. If you like this show and want to help me keep making it, becoming a patron is the very best way to support me. For a small monthly pledge, you get access to exclusive bonus features, like author commentaries, character profiles, and new Metamorph City artwork. Right now, everyone donating $3 a month or higher gets access to the first draft of Honor Bound as I'm writing it, usually releasing about one chapter a week. To get started, head on over to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. And if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.